morning, everybody, on this fine autumnal morning. It's lovely to see uh, so many here and so many uh, visitors with us, and you, you're all welcome to, to worship uh, with us this morning. I thought we'd begin by singing together from Praise the Lord, God of glory, we exalt your name, and, and a, a hymn of praise to God who is reigning in glory, whose word is mighty. And that leads us into number 68 as we remember and worship our Lord Jesus, who is the radiance of our Father's glory. Let's pray together. Abba, Father, we are so thankful that we have this time to come together around your word, around the emblems of our Lord's death and resurrection, to worship you and your lovely Son, Jesus, to share fellowship and to uplift each other as we journey to your kingdom. Build us together then, Father, we ask that, that we can bring glory and honour to your name. And we ask that you'll be with those who couldn't meet with us this morning. For whatever reason, whether they're away speaking or serving at other churches, whether they're ill or just struggle to be here, this morning, Father, strengthen their faith. We ask, give them encouragement and help us to know where we need to, how to help them. Restore our rightful spiritual mind in us, Father. Make us whole, even by sending Jesus back today. And be with those who are serving today, Father. We ask, in whatever capacity, that they can help us all draw closer to you. Be with us, Father, we ask then. And God is in your way. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come before you and you know the thoughts and desires of our hearts and minds. Those things that we've shared openly this morning. Those things which are, are deep within, which we struggle with, which we need help with. Father, we pray that you will help each and every one of us as you know best and help us, Father, to accept your will in our lives. Father, lots of people, we, we don't see that often in our church and we, we think about them. We think about the people who are prone to suffer on a day-to-day -day basis with very difficult and, and, and life-changing conditions and we, we ask for your continued care to be with them. We think especially of Joe's colleague at work, Jill, as she expects a baby shortly and, and the, uh, the worry and anxiety that comes from, from past experiences in life, Father, and we pray that you will be near to them, that they may know that that is the case, that they can be drawn to you, closer to you. We think of Lisa, Debbie and Van's daughter in America, and Father, having to cope with such difficult news and such difficult medical and health problems is, is never easy and we pray that they can 
find some strength and some solace and consolation in you and that you can be close to them, Father. We know that you, you remain a God of miracles and we ask that you will work with them, Father, to let your will come forth. Think about Debbie, who's starting work this week, and that's always a, an exciting and nervous time. We pray that you will be with her too, give her the skills and the, and the confidence and the, and, and the things that she needs in that Father, that you'll be close to her. Especially as there is the, the continued tie of, uh, and, and, and struggle with, with Hannah and her shoulder and the difficulties that that brings for her in, in childcare and, and herself, Father, as well. And we, we ask that she's got a bit of a wait before this surgery, that you can help her with patience, Father, that you will be with the kids and, and her husband too, Father, that together they can work through these difficult times and, and be stronger together. Even, Father, help the doctors and nurses the hospitals bring the date forward so that she can have it sooner, if that's your will. So, Father, we, we ask that you'll be also with our brother John out in the Congo, who whilst we don't see that often and can escape from our minds, we know that he's out there trying to do your work and, and we pray that you will be close to him to keep him safe in the difficult places and, and, and things he has to do. We ask these things, Father, not for our own sakes, but because of Jesus and all he has done for us. Amen. Charles is going to uh, talk to us this morning. Um, before he does, we're going to read together from Acts chapter 8. And uh, Chris is going to read that for us, please. Acts chapter 8. Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who, were, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so that there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. 
they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they may re might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the hands of the apostles, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. I can see that you are full of bitterness and a captive to sin. And then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. And when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. <coughs> the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And they travelled along the road. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. 
why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Acts chapter 8, a passage full of the power and the wonder of, of the word of God and the acts that the, the apostles were able to do. And let's, let's sing about that power that comes from the gospel. Him from praise the Lord, number 83. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and my Lord and King. Charles, we look forward to hearing your thoughts. Morning, everybody. I'm afraid I have to start with bad news. I don't have one exhortation. I have two. <laughs> I can almost hear the heart sinking. <laughs> but the good news is I've halved them in length. So there's two themes I couldn't really pick between two, so I'll end up with, with two exhortations. But they both come from this, this passage in, in Acts chapter 8 that we've read together. And the first comes from contrasting the um, two personalities of Simon and Philip, their motives and their actions. Simon was a kind of, he was a humble kind of guy. He just wanted people to know that he was God's gift. Um, and he went around telling people that and he had a few conjuring tricks to, to illustrate. Um, Acts chapter 8 and verse 9. <coughs> now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power, known as the great power. Apparently that idea of, of being known as a divine power carried with it the idea of being some kind of angel, or even a manifestation of God himself. And around this time, because there was such a kind of um, anticipation and a, a fervour of some kind of Messiah arriving on the scene, um, there was an ample opportunity for people to exploit um, this kind of desire in the people for someone to uh, uh, rid them of the oppression of the Romans. So there were quite a lot of people going around at the time um, pretending to, have, to be the Messiah and, and uh, bringing with them wizardry and, and conjuring tricks. <coughs> but Simon was the best around. He wanted the adoration of the people. He wanted the power. He wanted to lead them. It was an intoxicating mixture. And in that background, it's quite amazing, actually, that he was converted, isn't it? That he actually kind of, um, when, he, when, when someone else came to town, he, he dropped it all and he was baptised and he was converted. But he couldn't uh, leave it all behind. And so we read in verse 18, When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying of honour the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart 
is not right before God. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? The one who was going around telling people that he was God's gift was then, when he saw the real thing, desperate to try and buy it off, off someone else. And there's a tradition that, that got passed down the centuries. And you never know these traditions, whether they're kind of genuine or they've kind of a bit of mythology to, to make a point. But the tradition is that um, with Simon, with his pride dented at, and having been rejected um, by the apostles, he set up his own version of Christianity, which ran in opposition to the apostles' version of Christianity. And his pride was his downfall, according to legend, because he asked his disciples to bury him alive, and he said he would raise himself from the dead. But Houdini this time failed, and he died, according to legend, buried alive by his own disciples. So the, that intoxicating mixture of wanting the adulation of the people, the money, and, and all that, was in the end Simon's downfall. Philip, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. I first meet Philip a couple of pages back in Acts chapter 6. And we read him getting the kind of the job that nobody wanted, <laughs> I, I think, because this, this has got headache written all over it. In Acts chapter 6, it says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of, word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip. To get to what I mean when I say this job had headache written all over it. There's bickering going on amongst the group of Christians, and the, the twelve have decided that they shouldn't get involved in this. They should, get, they should concentrate on the ministry of the word and prayer. And they looked for some mugs, I mean wise people, to, um, to try and sort out this problem between, between the families. It's got headache written all over it. People tugging on his tunic every two seconds saying, excuse me, we haven't had our share yet. But I get the impression that Philip just got on with it. He was that kind of person that just wanted to serve in whatever way he could. And his, his character had stood out as being someone who could, who could deal with this. He was not one of the apostles. He was not someone who had the ability to pass on the miraculous gifts, as we, as we read in, in later on in chapter, chapter 8. So I find it interesting, then, that here in Acts chapter 8, we find him as being the main person converting the Samaritans to the gospel. And when God wants someone to reach out to a very, very special person, the Ethiopian eunuch, he doesn't choose one of the twelve. He chooses Philip to do the job for him. I think that's interesting. Philip's heart and mind were alight with the gospel. So when, he was, uh, when the persecution scattered the people away from Jerusalem, and he may have been taken away from his young family, we read him later on in, in, in Acts of Apostles having four daughters but Philip takes the gospel with him he was alight with it and the natural thing was him to, to preach the gospel so we have roles uh, in our meetings don't we in, in our church 
are there for a matter of organisation, for smooth running, and there's also some symbology attached to them in the New Testament. But this passage here tells us that the roles that we assign within the church are not the be-all and end-all. They are, if you like, a superficial structure, a scaffolding to arrange things and make sure that things happen, make sure that nothing gets missed out. And for that, they should be respected. But they do not define each one of us. They are not the be-all and end-all. I think I've been on every committee in this church (laughs) over the last few years. And the one thing I've noticed about committees is they live up to their name. They are committed to tea and coffee (laughs) and other light refreshments. I'm glad that went down well. (laughs) I was always to cross it out if there'd been a stony silence. (laughs) A committee is something which can do in in one month what a good person can do in an hour. It has been said. We have committees, and they're important because they do make sure that nothing gets overlooked and things get done. But they're not the be-all and the end-all, and they don't define who we are in Christ or our responsibilities. So caring is not the exclusive responsibility of the care committee. Preaching is not the exclusive responsibility of the preach committee. Managing is not the exclusive responsibility of the manager committee. Looking after buildings is not the exclusive responsibility of the buildings committee. You get the idea. They're there, they're important. But what's most important is that we as individuals use the abilities that God has given us um, to his glory. If we are alive and await the gospel, like Philip was, we will find the opportunities to express that wherever we are. It didn't matter to Philip that he wasn't an apostle. He just got on with the job of preaching scattered by, after he'd been scattered um, by persecution. Here endeth first lesson. Part two. <laughs> um, there are a lot of great experiences to be had in life. Sticky toffee pudding, number one. Um, a joke where you didn't see the punchline coming, feeling the sun on your face, swimming underwater, standing with 40,000 people singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Excellent. <laughs> Got one thumbs up. <laughs> These are all part of the richness of life, things that make life worth living, aren't they? But they all have one thing in common. They're all momentary. So we do other things to kind of create a legacy, building something, having a family, creating words or pictures that will last beyond us, pursuing a cause, something that's more, that's more uh, long-lasting. But even these kinds of things um, have their limitations. For years, the people of Samaria had been wowed by the tricks of Simon the Sorcerer. He was the uh, Darren Brown of his time. He filled the Samaria Evening News arena night after night after night. All the chat shows wanted to have Simon the Sorcerer on because he was the best around at at what he did. He was the experience that you had to experience before you die. He was the the one. But then, as we read in Acts chapter 8, things change. says in verse 12 when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ they were baptised both men and women Simon himself believed and was baptised and he followed Philip everywhere astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw what this tells us 
is that it doesn't matter what our culture can generate, the amazing experiences that our, our culture can provide, compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're nothing. They all pale into significance. And the fact that uh, Simon was so quick to drop his own uh, trickery when he saw the, the real deal uh, in Philip tells us just how insignificant everything else is um, when compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, there are many experiences to be had and as civilization has developed, um, especially in the developing world, the number and diversity of different experiences that we can have um, is just multiplied beyond all, all uh, recognition. We can even talk to mobile phones <laughs> uh, these days. Uh, so perhaps if everyone just thinks of one thing in uh, their life, one experience which they really think is, is the bee's knees, their, their favourite thing. Um, has anyone thought of eating a banana? No? no? No one's thought of eating a banana. Well, I came across this uh, little piece that someone wrote about life in World War II, about bananas, and it opened my eyes to how much we take for granted. I'll just read it word for word. It says, In World War II, only young children were allowed to have oranges about twice or three times a year, nobody else, but there were never any bananas. Children longed for bananas. They used to dream about bananas and talk about bananas and imagine what it would be like to have a real banana to eat. They used to make themselves miserable thinking about bananas because there were none to get. Our mothers used to make mock banana with parsnips. It was awful. So we had to do without bananas. One day, my mum went out to do some shopping, and when she came home, she was smiling. She said, I have a surprise. I've been to my friend's house to see her, and she gave me something nice to eat. Can you guess what it is? Milk chocolate, my sister Rose said. Nope. I know, I said. It's mushrooms. Nope. We were disappointed. When we couldn't guess what it was, she put her hand into her bag and slowly she drew it out. Our anticipation was unbearable. Close your eyes, she said. Now open them. We couldn't believe what we saw. A banana! Is it real? Yes, it's real. Feel it. Smell it. It was real. She told us that her friend's husband was in the Navy and was on one of the ships that carried food from hot countries and he had brought a bunch of bananas home for her so she'd kindly given one to my mum. But don't tell anyone, she said. Can we eat it? Not today. Why not? We'll have banana sandwiches for tea on Sunday. On Sunday, mum mashed the banana and mixed it with milk so it went further. She spread it very thinly on eight slices of bread we had never tasted anything so delicious. Rosie and I ate our tea with our eyes closed. It was magic. We wanted to make it last forever, but it didn't. After tea, we kept sniffing at the peel because we didn't want it to end. We eventually went out to play with our friends. Guess what we had for tea? Custard and jelly, that's what everyone has on Sunday. No? Not jam sandwiches? No. Oh, tell us. Banana sandwiches, don't tell lies. We're not. We've had banana sandwiches. No, you haven't. No one can have banana sandwiches. We have. There's no bananas until the war is over. You're lying. We're not. We'll show you. 
I ran to the house and I came back waving the banana peel. There was silence as they all stared at it. And they all began shouting and grabbing it at once. When they'd all felt it and smelt it, only then they believed. I couldn't believe that when I read it. It's, it's, it's a really nice written piece, but just the change in just 70 years of something that we take for granted. We buy bananas, they go in the cupboard, they go brown, they start to smell, they go in the bin. That's the way it works in our house. sometimes it's only when we don't have something that we actually appreciate it would we have to have our faith taken away for us to actually appreciate what it means to us would we have to have the freedom to worship in this place taken away for us to actually recognise what it means would we have to have this amazing church family of brothers and sisters taken from us to know how valuable it is in our lives the experience of knowing Jesus the experience of being part of God's family is the greatest thing Simon realised that as soon as he's seen Philip he realised it it's interesting that some of the places where Christianity is growing fastest in the world are the places where it's been taken away for periods of time communist states where it's been, uh, been banned are the places where it's growing fastest now so I'd just like to finish by just looking at a psalm which just encapsulates what I was trying to say. Psalm 84. It's a, it's a beautiful psalm. Just pick out three little sections. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. I love that picture. He's the smallest of all the birds, the sparrow, has found its home in the altar of God. And the picture is that the smallest of us, the weakest of us, um, finds our, our place in this, in this temple of God. We were in Rome this week, just sort of dropped that in. And uh, the coach tour dropped us off in St. Peter's Square. And it's, it is a, an amazing um, structure that's all around you with the, the high colonnade pillars and St. Peter's Basilica in front of you. But to get into St. Peter's Basilica, you have to go through security. You have to go through those, those big beeper things and you've got to queue up for hours and hours to see the millions of pounds worth of gold and uh, art that's up on the walls there. A far cry from what this is saying. That even the smallest bird in the field finds a place, finds a home around the altar of God Almighty. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it into a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. The Baca is a tree that grows in arid places. So what this is saying is that those who have the gospel in their hearts, who are on pilgrimage to the temple of God, bring with them refreshments. And we have to do that too, don't we? We have to make sure that this is a place of refreshment that brings life with it. Finally, verse 10 and 11. 
Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Thank you, Charles, for uh, both of your uh, talks this morning to us. I um, was drawn to a few things that, uh, that you talked to us about, Charles, particularly, I think, the being alive in the Gospel and, and, and taking those opportunities that, that are presented to us that that experience of, of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, of being blessed to be a part of his family are the most important things to us in our lives and, and how often and how easily they can drop from where we know they should be to where we end up placing them to all the different pressures and, and things that, that, that come to bear on us. And I also thought, as you, as you were talking about what the eunuch was, was reading in, in Isaiah, that we all, like sheep, have, have gone astray. And, and each of us has turned to our own way at, at different points, at different times of our lives. And yet, you know, the, the weakest of us has, has a home with God because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and what he willingly did for us. And, and what I'd like you to do now is before we, before we share bread and wine is to sing together Led like a lamb to the slaughter in silence and shame There on your back you carried a world of violence and pain and yet we rejoice that you're alive you're alive, you have risen and the power and the glory is given to you. Hymn 209 So we Come now to share bread and wine together to remember the greatness that has, is ours already because of our Father's grace and, and, and what has been done for us. And Ben um, is going to come and lead us in thanks for the bread, please. Father, Lord God Almighty, creator of everything help us so that our minds may be still and that we may remember the sacrifice of your son through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ surely took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are 
Holy Father, Holy Father, in the scriptures that you gave us, your house is called the house of prayer. And it's obvious, Lord, that it was a place where people came and just talked to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Father, that you're the God who, who doesn't just love us, but you want us to come and talk to you. You want us to make a relationship. You want us to talk about the lovely things, the big things in our lives, and also the little things. The little problems, the little good times, because you love us, because you want all of us close to you. Father, thank you, and thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus because I know Lord Jesus you came to show us what your father is like you came to show us what compassion is what love is Lord Jesus by your grace (laughs) I know what bananas taste like I think we all know what bananas taste like But I'm not sure, Lord, that we know what you taste like. And that's what we've come to do, isn't it? Lord Jesus, we've come to taste you. To taste and to know that you are good. We've had a bit of bread, a symbol of your body, and we're going to take a a sip of wine, a symbol of your blood, and we're supposed to eat you and consume you and, and taste your life in our lives. Lord Jesus, as we take this wine and share it among us, help us to do just that, to, to taste you. I know it's not going to be just in this wine or just now, but in all of our lives to come to you and know you to know you intimately to spend time with you to taste you and know that you're good Lord bless us richly now thank you As much as we enjoy and endeavour to put our our church, our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the things that we try and spiritually taste now and, and how wonderful we most of the time think these things are, in comparative terms they are are they not nothing in relation to what is to come where all these things that we we try and taste that we try and experience now are just a very poor reflection of what it is that we long for 
And that's what we're going to close in, uh, in thinking about through the words of Praise the Lord 267. There's a louder shout to come, there is a sweeter song to hear. All the nations with one voice, all the people with one king. And what a song we'll sing upon that day. Holy God, our Father, indeed you do deserve an anthem of the highest praise. And our praise comes to you now for all the blessings of this time we've spent together. We've been thinking, Lord, a bit about eating and tasting and it's been good to be here this morning, but it's just nothing compared with what you have in store for us. We pray, Lord, for courage to bring you to the forefront in our lives in the week ahead. We pray, Lord, that we might not turn away from what you offer us and to take from the world. So often, Lord, we seek our greatness. We seek our own feeling of being good just like Philip did we seek praise from men Father help us to strive to serve you and even if it means just being content with the menial tasks help us to strive to draw closer to you in the way we live our lives we have such great blessings here this morning we've been able to meet in peace and safety in our land to be fed, to be clothed, to have people who care about us, to have one, an one another here as, as your family, part of that great worldwide family. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord, but so often we turn away from you. Help us to keep you close to us in the time ahead. Help us to realise that you love us so much, each one, and you want to build on that love to draw us into this great relationship for you which will be revealed at your son's return. So help us to continue now walking with you and remain alongside us, we pray, in the days ahead. Dear Jesus, we thank you for all you've done for us. And we offer this prayer now in your name.